We are going to look uh, today into, into the book of Genesis. We are in Genesis chapter 39. We'll begin in verse 1. If you, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Genesis 20, uh, 39, verses 1 through 20. If you don't, you can be found there in the Bible in the pew in front of you in page, on page 64. Two chapters ago, we looked at how Joseph's brothers were jealous of him. They plotted to murder him, changed their minds, uh, decided to, to make some profit off of Joseph, so they sold him to some slave traders. And they, those slave traders took him to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar. And so we will pick up that account today in Genesis chapter 39, beginning in verse 1, as we have almost a repetition of the last verse of chapter 37. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and he had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to him, this Hebrew has been brought to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And she told him the story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Holy Father, we look at this account today. We look at how Joseph uh, reacted with Potiphar. We look at how Joseph reacted with Potiphar's wife and how it worked out for Joseph. And we ask that you open our eyes today. You were with Joseph there in Egypt. We ask that you be with us here. Show us what you would have us to know so that we might love you more. Show us what you would have us to learn so that we might follow you better. 
and show us what you would have us to learn so that we might appreciate more and more the work that you have done for us. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we're going to begin looking at the process today. In fact, from this chapter through chapter 40 and 41, we're going to see how God moves in the life of Joseph to bring him to a place of prominence where he can provide a type of salvation for the family of Jacob. Um, A famine is going to happen and Joseph will be in a position to provide food in the midst of this famine for his family. But we will notice a pattern if, if we pay attention to these three chapters. We'll notice a pattern that makes itself rather evident in Joseph's life. He'll begin in a state of humiliation. He'll then find himself in a state of exaltation. And he'll find himself in a state of humiliation again, only to lead to another state of exaltation, to lead to another state of humiliation, which finally leads to the ultimate exaltation where he is made second in command over all of Egypt. It reflects life oftentimes. We go through peaks and valleys in our lives, but it also reminds us of our salvation and the means by which we were given salvation. Paul tells us in the, in the in his letter to the Philippians that Jesus, who was equal with God, who lived in the throne room of God, who had all the glory of God, as the, as the catechism tells us, is humiliated by taking on flesh, by dwelling among us, by living underneath the law that he was not bound to live under, by dying a death he did not deserve, by being buried in a tomb. So that after that humiliation, he could then be exalted through the resurrection and the ascension and his rule and reign at the, in the throne room of God, at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Our salvation came through a cycle of humiliation and exaltation. And as we consider the life of Joseph, we, can, we should remember that as he is humiliated and exalted and humiliated and exalted and humiliated and exalted. As we consider the first part of this pattern today, the first exaltation and, the, and humiliation, or actually the second humiliation, the first exaltation, the second humiliation, I want us to consider two things. Number one, that God is faithful to Joseph and that Joseph himself is faithful to God. First, God's faithfulness to Joseph. Verse one of today's passage points us back to a time in Joseph's life where he might have felt that God was unfaithful to him. He had had these dreams that God would exalt him over his family, over his brothers. He was the younger, one of the youngest brothers in the family. He had the dream that, that the, the agricultural produce of the brothers bowed down to his agricultural produce. He had the dream that the sun, moon, and the twelve stars bowed down to, to him. And his brothers hated him for it. He was kind of that arrogant younger brother, family favorite that, that was... That was you know, despised by the older brothers. And so they sold him into slavery. And he sold into slavery into this Egyptian household, a household of a, of a very prominent man in Egypt. He was the captain of the Pharaoh's guards. Um, so he had access to Pharaoh as a very important person. And Joseph was sold to him as a slave. And we see God's faithfulness to Joseph uh, in several ways throughout this particular passage. First, we see that the Lord was with Joseph. We're told very early in the passage that, um, 
the Lord was with Joseph whenever he was there in Potiphar's house. This is a promise that God made to Jacob and that transferred to Jacob's children as well as they were outside of the promised land. God was with them. The second way we see God's favor on Joseph or God's faithfulness to Joseph is that God favored Joseph. God prospered Joseph and God gave him success. Joseph is sold to this palace official. Joseph is not placed in the fields. He is made to be a servant in Potiphar's house. If we look at historical documents from this time period, um, we see that typically Egyptian slaves would be placed in the fields while foreign slaves would be placed inside Egyptians' homes. And that, and that is a sign of God's favor, prosperity, and success upon Joseph. Thirdly, he wins the respect and esteem of Potiphar. We see God's favor by making Joseph somebody that, that Potiphar respects, that Potiphar trusts, that, um, and then Joseph, because of this respect and trust, becomes Potiphar's personal assistant and ultimately the head of Potiphar's entire household, except for whatever Potiphar ate, which is kind of a, a Hebrew euphemism for Potiphar's most personal um, activities within the household, which his wife would become part of that, which we'll look in at a few minutes. The third thing that God does for, to show his faithfulness to Joseph is he blesses him. He says that the Potiphar noticed that the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. This should also actually throw us back to think about not only God's faithfulness to Joseph, but God's faithfulness to Abraham as well. Because what did God tell Abraham in Genesis 12, 3? Not only will you have descendants, not only will your descendants own the land, but your family will be a blessing to other nations. We're told explicitly here in today's text, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. So we see God's faithfulness not only to Joseph in blessing him, but also his faithfulness to the promises given to Abraham. God is reminding the Israelites of the Exodus generation, the, the original audience of this book, that God keeps his covenant promises. This cycle of humiliation and exaltation that is working itself out in the life of Joseph has also worked itself out in the life of the Israelites as a whole. The whole family of Jacob comes to Egypt exalted and praised and given prime property by Pharaoh. And yet they will become slaves in the land of Egypt and yet leave after having been given the spoils of Egypt after the ten plagues. Moses is reminding them of God's faithfulness, but he's reminding them of one other thing. Five times in the first six verses, we are told the Lord did something. That covenant name given to Moses in Exodus 3.14, when Moses says, who shall I tell the people is sending me? God gives Moses his personal name. That name shows up five times in the first six verses verses here. It'll show up a sixth time as we, as we look at um, the last few verses um, next week of this chapter. God is faithful. God is in control of everything that's happening to Joseph. And in his faithfulness, he is working all of this together for the salvation of his people. God is showing Joseph favor 
prosperity, success, blessing, and faithfulness to Joseph, to his people, and to us today. But we need to keep one thing in mind as we think about God's faithfulness to Joseph. What was Joseph at this point in his life? He was a slave, was he not? He had no status in Egypt as a human being. In fact, we'll talk about it in a few minutes. He had no choice but to go to prison, even under a false accusation, because the testimony of a slave was nothing during this time. All of the blessing, all of the faithfulness that God placed upon Joseph went through him to Potiphar and his household. Now, God was faithful to Joseph. God was blessed Joseph. God showed prosperity and success upon Joseph, but it passed from Joseph on through to the Egyptian, to the Egyptians. Joseph did not receive immediately the direct benefit of all the goodness that God was showing to him. And it reminds us to ask ourselves the question, God has blessed each and every one of us. What are we doing with it? Is that blessing passing on through us to others? Are we using what God has given to us to bless our neighbors, to bless our friends, to bless one another? Or are we hoarding it? Are we holding on to it for ourselves? Because this is my blessing, not yours. So God is faithful to Joseph and he shows him this and being with him. And he shows him this and prospering him and showing favor to Joseph. But Joseph is also faithful to God. Joseph responds to God's faithfulness by being faithful to him. Now, Joseph finds himself in this situation. He is of literally fine form, it says there. The, the text says that he was well built and handsome, um, but he was literally of fine form and good to look at. And he is powerless in the household of a very powerful man with a very powerful wife. And she expects something of a handsome, well-built man. She expects him to respond to her power. And she uses her power in a very brutish way, not to run the household, not to help uh, 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 with her husband. She very brutishly says, come sleep with me. It's actually only two words in the, in the original languages. Two words that typically in Old Testament and similar uh, documents from similar times are on the lips of men, not women. It's a very brutish way to ask him to come to bed with her. And Joseph refuses, and he refuses on four grounds. He refuses on the fact that Potiphar has placed great trust in Joseph, and he doesn't want to abuse that trust. He refuses because Joseph does not want to abuse the gratitude that he has toward Potiphar. Joseph could be out in the fields sweating in the heat of the day, doing raising crops. He could be on latrine duty within the house, but Potiphar, he is grateful to Potiphar to raising him to a position that he has. Joseph doesn't want to violate Potiphar's household. Joseph has been entrusted with everything except for the food that Potiphar ate. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, that is the most personal business that Potiphar had. He wasn't just not the cook. He was had no responsibility over any of Potiphar's most personal matters, which included his wife. Joseph would be grasping at power within the family if he were to sleep with Potiphar's wife. 
And Joseph was not going to violate Potiphar's personal life, his personal business, his personal household. But ultimately, what does Joseph say? He said, could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph, like David in Psalm 51, David in Psalm 51 says, God, it is against you and you only that I have sinned. Joseph understands that, yes, he would be violating trust and gratitude and the personal space and responsibility of Potiphar. But he also understands that ultimately he would have to answer for God for the decision he makes, whether to sleep with Potiphar's wife or not. And we see that in seeking to honor God, to be faithful to the law that God has given him, it cost him something. Potiphar's wife continues to proposition him day after day. Sin's like that a lot of times, is it not? Sin, we, you know, we're, we're tempted to do something and we, we resist the temptation and Satan goes, oh well, he resisted temptation, I'm done with that particular area. No. Satan comes back day after day with the same thing over and over and over again, hoping to wear us down. If we look at the end of the book of Judges with the life of Samson that happened to him twice. His first wife just wore him down over and over again. Won't you tell me the answer to the riddle? Won't you tell me the answer to the riddle? Won't you tell me the answer to the riddle? And finally Samson was like, hush, I'll tell you. And then later on in his life, Delilah says, why don't you tell me the secret of your strength? Why don't you tell me the secret of your strength? Why don't you tell me the secret of your strength? And he finally wore down and told him the secret of the strength. That's what Joseph was under. Day after day, Potiphar's wife comes to him and says, sleep with me. Tomorrow, Joseph enters the house and he hears, sleep with me. The next day, Joseph enters the house and he hears, sleep with me. The next day, Joseph enters the house and he hears, sleep with me. Kind of get the pattern there, do you not? He got to the point where Joseph said, not only am I not going to sleep with you, I'm not going to be in the house alone with you until that fateful day when he walked in and all the other servants were out. And, you know, we don't know. Maybe he thought the whole house was empty with all the servants outside. He was going in to do what he was supposed to do every day. Do, Potiphar, do the business of Potiphar, run the household as he was supposed to do. And he walks in and he finds himself face to face with Potiphar's wife alone with no witnesses. And he does what we should all do when we're in that situation with any sin, not just the sin of lust, not just the temptation. We should flee. And he does. He runs. But on his way out, she grabs his cloak. And for the second time in his life, a piece of clothing gets Joseph in trouble. It was the coat of many colors, that, that well-adorned cloak that his father had given him. That was the straw that broke the camel's back in his brother's jealousy. And here, his cloak of household rulership will get him in trouble and thrown in prison. So she lays there in bed. She calls the servants back in and she appeals to the Egyptian suspicion and, and xenophobia of, of foreigners. And she says, look what this Hebrew has done to me. Look what he tried to do to me. But I screamed and you guys came and saved me. And he ran away. And she laid there clutching the robe until her husband comes home. And says, you brought this man in here to attack me. Just like from the Genesis 3, she blames her husband 
for her problems. She blames Jacob. And we all know the saying, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Except Potiphar gets angry. But we don't know who Potiphar's angry at. It's really rather ambiguous. We have a clue that he disbelieves his wife because sexual assault at this time, especially by a slave, carried with it the death penalty. And yet, where does Joseph end up? He ends up in prison. Now, it's interesting to see he ends up in the prison where the king's prisoners are kept. And that will be very integral for the next step of his life. So we actually see that, that Joseph is, that God is still, even though he's being humiliated in this for standing up for the law of God, we see that God is orchestrating this to get Joseph right where he needs to be to speak to Pharaoh when it comes time to put plans in place for this. Two things about Joseph's faithfulness. Sometimes our faithfulness, sometimes standing up for what is right and standing up for what is wrong is going to cost us something. Whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the family, whether it's with our friends, whether it's in the community where we think we have some type of prestige or respect of the community, standing up for what is right may cost us something. Are we willing to pay that cost? Are we willing to understand that compromise is not an option when it comes to the law of God? And, and I'm not just talking here about avoiding adultery, okay? That, that's, that's pretty much a no-brainer for most of the rest of us. But there are things that God has called us to do in our culture. There are rules that God has called us to live by in His Word that are going to cost us something to follow. You might be excluded from the water cooler conversation if you're not willing to gossip. You might be excluded from the lunchroom if you're willing to actually work when you're on the clock and to give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. You might be asked to leave if you're not willing to cook the books to make the boss look better. Following God is going to cost us something. Standing up for what God says is right and what God says and standing up against what God says is wrong comes with a cost. Comes with a relational cost. But here's, here's the kicker. It's a temporary cost. Because we all await that day, do we not, when we hear, well done. And then that's when we see the glory that God has upon us. That's when we see that it was totally worth it to shed potential for promotion, to shed respect in the community, to shed a place of approval amongst our friends, all for the glory of God. God rewards those who stand up for Him. And yes, it cost Joseph something great at this point in his life, but God was going to use it as a springboard to place him exactly where God wanted him to provide salvation for the family of Jacob. And the second thing I want us to see through Joseph's faithfulness, I've already touched on, is that temptation is not a one-off thing. Satan is going to come at you day after day, week after week, moment after moment, 
and tempt you where he thinks he can get you. He doesn't have infinite knowledge, but he knows us pretty well. He knows where we are weakest. He knows where we are most easily tempted. And he's going to hit us there every opportunity that he can. Every moment of every day sometimes. But there is no temptation given to us that is not common to man. And in the midst of temptation, God always gives us a way out. And He always gives us the strength to see the way out. And He always forgives us when we stumble and fall. We are God's people. We are called to be faithful because He is faithful to us. God was faithful to Joseph. Joseph was faithful to God. We typically consider God's faithfulness during the good thing, good times and think that God has abandoned us during the difficult times. But the way this text and the, and the next text that we're going to consider and the text after that that we're going to consider is put together, we see that God is present. God is faithful to Joseph during the times of lifting up and during the times of bringing down. God is faithful to us in the good times. God is faithful to us in the bad times. God is refining Joseph's skills in the good times. Joseph, God is refining Joseph's uh, soul and skills and personality in the crucible of the hard times. Trial and struggle is not a sign that God has abandoned us. The promise is there. I will never leave you or forsake you. Where is the one time in Psalm 23 where we are told not to fear because God is with us? It's in the valley of the shadow of death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. God walks with us through the valleys, no matter how dark and deadly they get. We don't seek out struggle or persecution, but we should know that God's favor and blessing rests on us in trial as much as in success. And because of that, because of God's faithfulness, we should trust that God will prosper us through and in the struggle. God was faithful to Abraham. God was faithful to Isaac. God was faithful to Jacob, to Joseph, and he is still faithful to us today. Let us pray. To the God who is faithful, remind us that you are with us, that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. And when life gets difficult, when we struggle, remind us that you are still faithful to us and you will see us through by your strength, by your grace, and by your mercy. I pray all these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.